The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. Trevor was talking uh, right before the confession about all the things that the Lord has done in our lives. I became a follower of Jesus when I was either 18 or 19 years old. I was a freshman, sophomore at Furman. And if you guys had known me then, you would know a very, very different Aaron. The Lord has done a really miraculous work over the last 12 or 13 years to mature me in the faith and to grow me. But back in that time, throughout the year 2010, I was really confronted with the question, what am I giving my life to? What am I spending my life on? I thought living for myself, living for my prestige, living for my pleasures, that that was what was right to do. And I came to realize through the preaching of God's word, through it being shared with me, through people's prayers on my behalf, I came to realize my life was not and is not my own, but I was bought with a price. So ever since then, I've been constantly asking myself, what am I going to give my life to? Every day, every hour, every moment, I'm constantly affronted by my selfishness, my pride, my desires, my sin, the pleasures of my life, my comforts. And then I'm confronted by the glory and majesty of our great God, the one who created all, the one who rules over all, the one who cares for all things, the one who saves you and saves me. And again, I ask, what am I giving my life to? What is my life going to be spent on? And when I see God in his majesty, I think I'm going to live for the glory of our Lord and our Savior. But then how often do I feel like Paul or maybe even live like Paul? Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I end up spending my time doing. And so the question is the same for you and the question is the same for me. What are you going to give your life to? We spent a long time in Ecclesiastes, I don't even remember the year, 2021 I think. Our life is but a vapor. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. What are we going to spend our life on? Let's read in Acts, we're going to back up one verse, read Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and then we'll push into the first few verses of of chapter 13. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So chapter 12, verse 25 tells us that Saul and Barnabas are returning. Chapter 11, they were in Antioch. Then they were sent to Jerusalem, which is about 450 miles south in chapter 12, to bring a gift. And now they're returning. They're taking the journey back from Jerusalem to Antioch. Saul, this man who was a persecutor of the church, who was miraculously blinded 
in Acts chapter 9, and then converted and came to know Christ. Barnabas, chapter 11, verse 24, it tells us that he's this good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then we have John Mark. He's the, he's the cousin of Barnabas. He, he's kind of a little bit of an afterthought in these verses, but he's a very important person for us. He's the one who is uh, deemed to have authored the gospel of Mark. He's not an original disciple, but he's close with Peter, and so he's called to go with Saul and with Barnabas. Now, many people are named in verse 1. The one that sticks out the most is this guy, Manaen, and it says he's a, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas. Now, Trevor helps us learn last week, whenever we hear Herod, the name in, in the Bible, we just need to think bad. Bad guy, bad dude, this guy's up to, to nothing good. Herod the Tetrarch is the one that is the uncle of the Herod mentioned in Acts chapter 12 that Trevor covered last week. He's the one who killed John the Baptist in Matthew 14. He's the one who questioned Jesus before Jesus' crucifixion in Luke chapter 23. And so we have Manaen, and then we have Herod the Tetrarch, these two friends who are clearly going in very different directions. And then verse 2 and 3, Saul and Barnabas are commissioned by their local church to go. They are sent out. Now this, is, this begins what is commonly referred to as the first missionary journey. Saul, or, or Paul, we'll see in our verses, uh, is, is sent out. He has three missionary journeys that kind of fill the middle part of Acts. But interestingly, if we think about who Paul is, and we even think about Barnabas, both of these guys, this is not their initiation into ministry. They have been doing ministry. They have been laboring for the sake of the gospel for many years. They've been walking faithfully with the Lord Saul has been a believer at this point in Acts chapter 13 for about 15 years. And immediately upon coming to know the Lord, he's, he's sent in many ways. He, he's growing to come to know the Lord Jesus more, but he's sent out and he's, and he's on mission throughout Acts 9 through Acts 12. And then Barnabas is a man who has 10 years of missionary experience. So these two guys who are set apart, but they're not new to walking with the Lord. They're not new to ministry. Now the church at Antioch, in these verses, they are spending time worshiping and fasting. What does that mean? It means they're earnestly seeking the Lord. They're earnestly desiring more of the Lord's presence, the Spirit's presence, to be in their church, to show them what they're to do, to show them what they're to be about. They want to serve him. They want to glorify him. They're expecting God to work. They're expecting God to lead. So they're spending time worshiping and fasting. And then the Spirit responds. The Antioch church is seeking God in faith, and the Spirit sets Barnabas and Paul apart. And you'll notice throughout our verses, we're going to go down to verse 12. In verse 2, verse 4, and verse 9, the Holy Spirit is the one working. The Holy Spirit is the one initiating and setting apart and moving and shaping what's taking place. The mission and its success that Paul and Barnabas are sent on is empowered by God himself through the Spirit. Everything is driven and led by the Spirit. The Spirit qualifies, the Spirit calls, the Spirit equips, the Spirit sends, the Spirit sets people apart. 
And he does this both with the church at Antioch. This church is, is so unique in church history. They are the first church setting someone apart purposefully for the sake of mission. And so God uses the church through the Spirit, and then he uses Saul and Barnabas. And we see the church's faithfulness continue. In verse 3, after Barnabas and Saul are set apart, they spend more time fasting, they spend time praying, and then Barnabas and Saul are sent out. I've been thinking so much since Trevor shared, I don't know, a month or two ago, um, Elena's great picture of what is a healthy church, babies crying and men singing. I just thought that was absolute fire for what a healthy church looks like. Babies crying, men singing. But then I would add one just key component here that I think we see of a healthy church is sending, is pushing out, is sending people on mission for the sake of making Jesus known. There's not many more people famous in the book of Acts than Saul, who comes to be called Paul, and Barnabas. And the church at Antioch has both. They could keep both. Let's keep them for ourselves. And yet they send them. They fling them. They send them to the ends of the earth. For the good of the kingdom and the glory and worship of Christ, they send them because the nations need to know who Jesus is. And who is he going to use except people and churches? As we turn to think about verses 4 through 12, we, we see the Spirit sending. We see Saul and Barnabas entering the darkness. And the nations are going to be confronted with the one who they are going to live for and serve. Are they going to serve and live for themselves? Or are they going to serve Christ? So we're on the edge of our seat. Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. They're going. They're, they're spreading the gospel, but the gospel has only spread up to this point through persecution. Persecution has pushed people out of Jerusalem and started to force the gospel in other places, and it's only happened through individuals. But now God is using a whole church specifically with two set apart, and the question is, who's going to win out? Is it the God of the Bible, or is it the gods of this world? And so you can continue to walk along in verses 4 through 12, but I'm going to more kind of rehash it. I want to kind of tell the story of what took place. Saul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch. We should have a, a map on the screen. They're going to be kind of in the middle, uh, far right. And so then they move to Seleucia. It's just a little bit over. It's essentially the port city of Antioch. It's the city right on the Mediterranean Sea that Antioch has access to. And then they take a 120-mile journey, and they sail to the island of Cyprus. And then at Cyprus, they're going to hit two major cities. They come to this first city, uh, Salamis, on the east coast. And the typical practice of Paul is to go to the synagogues. He's a Jew. He's really the highest of all Jews. He persecuted Christians. He's been well-trained in Judaism. So he goes to the synagogues. And he spends time reasoning through the scriptures. What better place to go to tell about Jesus than a place that already holds up the Old Testament and really God's word pretty highly. And they're going to show, Paul's going to show, that all of this points to who Jesus is. And then they take time to travel across all of Cyprus, about 90 miles. And presumably they're still going in synagogues as they go along. 
They're walking. This is going to be a long journey. And they go to Paphos on the west coast. And they come upon a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name is Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means essentially son of the Savior. Bar-Yeshua. Yeshua means Savior. So he's the son of the Savior. And this showdown commences. This showdown between the ones who God has sent out and this one whose name is son of the Savior but who might not actually be working on behalf of the one true Savior. And so this magician, he serves this man, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul of Cyprus, the, the governor, essentially, of Cyprus, on behalf of the Roman, governor, or the Roman government. Sergius is this smart man. And so he calls Barnabas and Saul. He wants to hear God's word taught and proclaimed, but Bar-Jesus, who's also given the name Elemis, which just literally means magician, he fears what might happen. These two guys, if they come and talk to the guy I'm going to work for, maybe they're going to tell him something true and right that I haven't told them, and then I'm going to be fired. My job is on the line, essentially, when Saul and Barnabas come to town. We see throughout the Old Testament these magicians or sorcerers who are in uh, kind of the, are under these different government officials, essentially work for these different people, these government leaders. Genesis chapter 41, if you've ever read through the book of Genesis, very first book of the Bible, the Pharaoh in Joseph's day has a dream and he calls all of his magicians to come give him wisdom. What is this dream mean and none of them are able to interpret so what do they have to do they have to call joseph who's actually in prison this man of god to interpret the dream moses in the book of exodus tells pharaoh to let my people go and he has these 10 miracle plagues that take place and in four of the miracle plagues pharaoh calls the magicians and tries to have them do what moses does these magicians are in the service of Pharaoh. Sometimes they succeed and sometimes they fail. And then Daniel, uh, one of the, the prophets, chapter 1 through 5, Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar, these two kings, they continually call magicians to get wisdom, to get insight. And so in many ways, uh, Elemis, Bar-Jesus, fears Saul and Barnabas giving insight to Sergius. But I think at this point, we kind of have Bar-Jesus coming up against Saul and Barnabas. I think this is meant to point us to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah, the, the prophet of God, the man of God, essentially goes up in this one-day battle against the prophets of Baal. And there's like 250, 500, however many prophets. There's tons of prophets of Baal. And they set up these two altars. And the one who's going to win, the one whose gods are real, is whoever's... Uh, altar is set on fire first. Whoever's sacrifice comes up. And, and uh, Elijah just mocks the prophets of Baal. They're going around and they're asking Baal to light it on fire. And Elijah's doing nothing but just mocking them, saying, you know, where are their gods? Are they just sleeping? What are they doing? And then Elijah pours water on his altar, soaks it down, and then calls on God and it lights on fire. The man of God and really, ultimately, God himself, through the work of the Spirit, 
is the one who wins out. And so we see here, we're hit with the same kind of story. Saul and Barnabas are teaching the word of God. They're filled with the Spirit, and they're going up against Bar-Jesus. And what does Saul call Bar-Jesus? He calls him, not the child of the Savior, but the son of the devil. Verse 10, son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, you one who is full of deceit and villainy. It's amazing these, these kind of parallels. You son of the Savior, you're actually not part of the Savior. You're not part of the kingdom at all. You're actually doing the work of the devil. Luke then calls Bar-Jesus a false prophet. Bar-Jesus is actually Bar-Devil, son of the devil. And the prophet, who is supposed to be able to see, is then blinded by the Spirit, by God's work in him. Trevor made very clear last week that all of those opposed to Jesus will lose. Glory thieves will be thwarted. Glory thieves will become worm food. So who wins? Well, through the teaching of Paul and Barnabas and this miracle that takes place, Sergius Paulus believes. He believes in the Lord Jesus. This is an intelligent leader He sees the miracle take place, but then the scripture says he's more astonished at the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. They're teaching about the Lord Jesus. So Sergius sees, he hears, and then he turns. So taking these kind of two sections together, Saul and Barnabas set apart by the church at Antioch, and then Saul and Barnabas kind of set up against Bar Jesus, who's going to win? I think we see our key from this passage, and it'll be on the screen. The Lord calls, equips, sends, and uses his people for his glory. God is the one who starts the mission. He will complete it by whatever means he determines. Genesis 1 through 3, God created a good and perfect world. He was with humanity Adam and Eve fall to sin. They fall to the temptation of the evil one, to the devil. But God promised to send a seed, a conqueror, a one who would crush the evil one. God promised that way back at the beginning. And then throughout the Old Testament, God is out to redeem his people for himself, for his glory. And he uses ordinary men teaching about the Lord God. He uses miracles. He uses visions, clouds, fire, rain. And he even uses evil acts to allow himself to be seen and to show all who he is. And then with Jesus and then the book of Acts, the nations are being confronted. Who are you going to give your life to? There's really nowhere to hide. The waging of war for the souls of the nations, for the souls of all people, is taking place right here in the book of Acts, and it's taking place right here before you and me. Here in 2023, 8 billion, 9 billion people throughout the world, 340 million throughout the U.S., the waging of the war for the souls of the nations is taking place. And yet the Lord calls, equips, sends, and uses 
normal people like you and like me for the sake of his kingdom. If you are in here and you are in Christ, the Lord is doing each of those four things in you right now. He's calling and he's equipping you. Both of those started the moment you became a believer. He called you to himself by his grace, in his kindness, and he began to equip you and work in you and move you and mature you and use his word and use the gathering of the body and use community groups and ultimately use the spirit and the word to equip you. And yet the Lord is also sending you. We know very clearly from the scriptures that you and I are to be ministers of the gospel, that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. The Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings, they all point to making Jesus known. The gospels and Paul's letters, they point to preaching Christ and him crucified. All of the Bible is centered on making Jesus known, is helping us know who Jesus is. And you and I are the ones who are now called to make him known. Let us live for the one true God. Focus our lives on praying and seeking opportunities to share with the lost all around us. And all of this is not on you. All of this is empowered by the work of the Spirit in us. One thing I know for sure, if you live here, you're not visiting from out of town, is you are called to Greer. You're called to Lyman or Taylor's or you know, Greenville or Blue Ridge. You are called to this area because you are here. You're called to your neighbors and coworkers, family, friends, cashiers at the grocery stores, waiters and waitresses, wherever you frequent to eat out. You're called to be here and you're called to be faithful. And yet you also may be called to leave everything for the sake of the kingdom and to go to the ends of the earth. To go to Halifax, to go to India, to go to sub-Saharan Africa, to go to Central America, to go for the sake of the nations because a war is taking place. Now some of you may think, Aaron, I can never go. I have such great friends. I can never leave my family. I can never leave Ridgewood. It's such a sweet place. I have the best job ever. I just encourage you to to not ever say never. The Lord may be calling you. And we don't want to have hard hearts to the call. Our church doesn't want to have hard hearts. And we don't want you to have hard hearts personally. Encourage you to pray and consider Is your life going to be somewhat like Barnabas and Saul? And you're going to be set apart to be sent out of Ridgewood. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. We're to pray and to consider if we are to go. I'm encouraged by, you know, somebody like John Piper, a, a famous pastor who's done so much work in ministry, and just remember hearing him say, every year he stopped to pray and consider, is this the right ministry I'm supposed to be a part of, or is the Lord calling me to move, to go overseas? 
This is a man who's invested so much and equipped so many. You and I are not above asking, where is the Lord calling us? What is the Lord going to do with us? And yet Paul and Barnabas, they didn't go zero to 60. They spent active Christian lives for more than a decade, learning, growing, training, being equipped, growing in their passion and love for the Lord Jesus. A person doesn't just become a missionary or a pastor or a deacon when they get the title. They do those things, and then at some point, they maybe get the title. God chooses to use broken and sinful humans like Paul, like Barnabas, like you, and like me to go and make him known. And what a gift that is. What an opportunity. God chooses to use us. He does not have to use us. He will, his glory will fill the world. And yet he chooses to use men and women like you and me. And so he's calling, equipping, sending. And then if you were in Christ, the fourth, fourth thing, the Lord is using you to help send others. And then he may even use you to send you. The Lord uses his people through kind of three ways. They'll be on the screen. Praying, giving, and going. Praying, we are to pray because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Giving, we want to be generous for the sake of the nations. Maybe you are called to be here. Maybe you are called to be at Ridgewood for the next 40, 50, 60 years. And by God, praise him. What a gift that would be to our body. And yet we know we are to give. This is why we think, do things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and Annie Armstrong. And we want to give and we want to support the Harrisons and Hannah and Rebecca and Halifax. And then the Lord also uses people through going. The Lord may call you to be here, to stay, to be faithful, and praise God for that. But let us always have an eye to sending. Always have an eye to seeing how we can get the gospel to go forward. When I think about praying, my kind of first letter up there, I, I pray that our church will not look the same in two years, five years, 25 years as it does today. And that's not because of the people we bring in, but because of the people we send out. The scattering that we do to the ends of the earth. And we're excited tonight um, for, the, for the pastors to be able to share a little bit more about what we see the God, God doing internally in our body and externally in our body for the sake of the kingdom. We're excited to be able to talk a little bit more about that at our members meeting tonight. The goal of, for our church is for you to be trained, equipped, and pushed in mission. We want you to learn to read the Bible better. We want you to learn to know and serve God. We want to see you mature in the faith. We want to see you increase in your love for the Lord. We want to see you be pushed in opportunities to evangelize and minister to neighbors and friends. And then ultimately, we're going to pray and ask the Spirit to do His work because the Spirit is the one who is going to set people apart. And I wonder who he is setting apart even now in this room right now. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. People not knowing and experiencing God's love. People not knowing the name of Christ. 
And so we want to pray. We want to be generous with our resources. And we want to consider going. We want to have an eye to sending. And all of us, as Ridgewood Church, play a part. I think about us being a church kind of like parents with kids. A big aspect of parents with kids is we disciple, we raise up, we equip, not to keep them in our homes, but to send them. And so maybe we spend 18 years, 19 years, 17 years, 20 years, however many years, kind of training, equipping, discipling, pouring into to then see them go, to see them pushed out of our home. I pray the same would be true of our church. We train, we equip, we build up. And then we see you guys sent to the ends of the earth to make Jesus known. I even think about, let's pray for our kids to be sent. And I know this is one of the hardest prayers that we can pray. We've got, I was looking at numbers, I mean, we've got 60 plus kids, five and below in this building over here probably this morning. That's what we've been having the last few weeks. We obviously have so many kids in here with us right now. I was just praying with Audrey the other night, just holding her close and just praying like, Lord, would you save her as quickly as you can? And Lord, would you use her in any way that you would deem fit? And if she has to live 10,000 miles away from me, by God's grace, that's what we'll do. Because Jesus is worth it. What am I going to give my life to? I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to give my life to raising my kids. I'm going to give my life to trying to shepherd and and pastor you guys and to see you sent. And the Lord may send me, the Lord may send Trevor, the Lord may send all of our elders somewhere. We don't know at what point. I pray that even our kids, I pray we'd have so many missionaries being discipled right now by all our volunteers. I mean, how cool would it be if we had 5, 10, 15 missionaries right now that are 2 years old? In 20 years, we get to celebrate that. And I know that would be so hard. And I even think about many of you, many of you empty nesters in the room. Your kids are spread throughout the world. Some of them are overseas. Some of them are spread throughout the U.S. for the purpose of making Jesus known. And I know it would be so fun for you to keep grandkids close and keep kids close. But by God's grace, that's what he's called you to and that's what he's called your family to. And it's a gift to be able to send. And it's hard, but it's a gift. What are you giving your life to? What do you hope your kids give their lives to? So let's pray, let's give, let's go, let's be generous, let's be willing to, to do what the Lord calls us. And maybe that starts with you baking some delicious bread this afternoon or next week, and you going and knocking on a neighbor's door and just saying, we don't really know each other, we've lived here 10 years, I'm Aaron and... This is my wife, Casey, and I'd love to get to know you a little more. Go and make Jesus known to your neighbors, and let's see what the Lord does with that. If you are not in Christ, if you do not know Jesus, the invitation is there. What are you going to give your life to? Who are you going to live for? Is it yourself, your pleasures, your your kingdom? It's here today. It's going to be gone tomorrow. Come and see, come taste and see that the Lord is good. Hear the teaching of the Lord like Sergius Paulus and see what he does. Jesus so loved you that he gave his life for you, a sinner. 
He desires to be in relationship with his people, and he makes a way. And so the question becomes in the end, who am I going to serve? Our hearts are deceitful and wicked beyond all understanding. The world tells us to follow our hearts, and it's the worst advice. Because our hearts are wicked and filled with sin, and yet the Spirit can regenerate us and can bring life to us as we call on the Lord Jesus, as we turn to follow Christ. God transforms us. We turn to him humbly, knowing that he is the perfect eternal God who has created us. We turn from our sin. We turn towards God. We believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the one who gave his life for us, for sinners who are broken, like you and like me, to our very core, and you are not too far gone. Whatever you're wrestling with today, believer, unbeliever, whatever sin you struggled with this week, the Spirit is there to redeem you, to call you back in. Forgiveness is there. And I pray we would go and live for something bigger than ourselves for the sake of making Jesus known, for the sake of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. And when the gospel is preached, the devil will place stumbling blocks and detractors like bar Jesus. But I'm praying for God to remove those. I'm praying that if you're in the room and you don't know Christ, that you'll be blown away with his teaching as you hear it from the pulpit, as, as I encourage you to read God's word, and that you would see that Christ's love for you is so clear. I'll go ahead and invite the, the band uh, back up. We, um, in just a moment, I'll, I'll pray. And we're going to take a, a couple minutes just to consider what the Lord is doing in our lives, what he is calling us to. What am I going to give my life to? And the Lord may call you to be here to the ends of your days, here in Greer, and to make Jesus known. But I know he's called you to make Jesus known and to proclaim Christ here. But also, he may be calling you to go. And we would love to play a part in training and equipping you. We're starting to try to get structures in place to even help that be uh, more conducive. And I pray you would consider, what, what is Jesus calling me to? What am I going to give my life to? And I pray if there's any sin you're wrestling through, you would be eager to put it off and you'd be eager to put on Christ and to take his word And to behold the beauty of Jesus and to say, my life is yours. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you so much that you have offered redemption through the, the person and work of Christ. It was life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We can have new life. Our baptism pictures that we are buried with Christ. We are dead to our sin and we are raised to new life. And what good news that is. Lord, it is mind-blowing when you save one and you saved Sergius Paulus through a miracle. But then your word tells us that he was more astonished at your teaching. At the words that you give us in this Bible, I pray we would be a men and women who love your word. 
Let it sanctify us and grow us and change us. And Lord, I pray that we as Ridgewood Church, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, Lord, we would just see so many sent out. We would see church planting efforts come from our church. We would see revitalization efforts, even like we're going to get to pray for at the end of our service today. Lord, we, we pray that we would get to see missionaries cast to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I pray that our church, we would get to sit in our homes early in the morning and we would, we would get to pray for missionaries who were, who were 10,000 miles away we're seeking to proclaim Christ because a war is going on for the nations, for the souls of every individual on planet earth. And Lord, we pray you would use us. What a gift it is. We pray that we would be open to wherever you call us. Lord, we love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.